that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, hoping that everybody had a wonderful Easter holiday, Holy Week, Easter, Easter pies, all the joy, marzipan lambs, and everything that goes with a wonderful Italian American Easter. I hope I'm going to make you a marzipan lamb. Oh, I know you are. I know you. You said you were making them. What happened? I am. I haven't had that. That's going to be a very intensive day. I got the mold. I got a Polish wooden butter mold. In Sicily, they use um, ceramic. Yeah. But I will break this. I will crack I, this code. I tried two or three years ago. It was a total disaster. But I'll tell you what I think you did wrong. I'm going to make a bet, and we're going to find out in a future episode if I was correct. I think you made your own marzipan. I think you got to buy the store-bought one. I did. I tried, I did try to make my own. I tried to grind the yeah, almonds. And, too, yeah, no. Because you know what happens? The oil content of the nuts, you need a stable, shelf-stable product. See, only you would know this. Because I'm a sick person. <laughs> this is what did he, you? Uh... People call me Heather Crowder. Here's a shout out to you. People call me from the podcast from all from near and far with their baking questions. Oh sure, but I love the science. I hated science in school because they never gave me a science I was interested in. If there was a culinary science program. Oh, absolutely. Uh... If I could have had a pizza game 101, would you kidding me? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I get something out of it. Like I mean, biology was nice. Earth science is not, I never took chemistry. I got out of that. But pastry science would have been your real sweet spot. Sure, I can eat. You do something with it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, cake science. I'm going to I'm going to crack this. Then we're going to start to mass produce the, the Sicilian because the retail, it's very expensive to get in a store. Yeah, it's not cheap at all. No, it's and, and you know, not many people are really eating it. It's more decoration in a lot of places. I, I love mean, it. I mean, who I doesn't do eat this? I love marzipan, but I find a lot of people don't eat it anymore because I'm going to bring that back. I'm going to bring that back. Every Christmas, I buy the fruta marturana, the Sicilian painted fruits, and some of my grandparents eat them. My mom, my mom loves them. But a lot of people how, look at them. How can you take an Oreo off of that? How I, can I you agree. have an Oreo and the fruta marturana on the same page <laughs> and go for? Do you see the, what's wrong with the world I'm in? I don't belong I here. Know. Well, I think I think people have to understand that it's inedible too, though. I think that these things are so beautiful; they look like. Decor. I love almond paste. I could eat almond paste all day long. I love almond paste I love and I love pistachio paste. Yeah, there you go. That's my number one. Like pistachio paste on anything I could eat. Even though I don't like cassata cake, I love a pistachio paste. Oh, I got one on you. Mariana Gatto, the Cavaliere of Los Angeles. Yeah, the founder and director of the museum. Who happened to be of late in New York, gave me two jars of pistachio cream. What? That she made? She didn't say give one to you and one to John. She was too no, she many. didn't. No, she didn't. But she, I mean, she gave me the Kuchidati cookies at Christmas. She sent me a beautiful uh, box. You all? I got, you got Kuchidati. I got pistachio cream. Wow. No, I got the cookies, too, so I'm up on uh, I mean, now, now she's going to say that I, I was supposed to give you one. <laughs> now that it's the on the air. Yeah, no, no, I swear to God. It was assumed. It was assumed, right. I mean, yeah. I'll give you one because I love you. <laughs> Thank you. But you know, I put that in my coffee now. That's the thing I, I love. Pistachio cream? Yeah, I had it in Sicily. Mod on. You came out of that Sicilian closet and you went running. <laughs> Where was I, the John Viola of the Bastida that I used to know? <laughs> That's like a forgotten time. That's like a time <laughs> of your life you don't talk about anymore. I think it all changed when you told me that my Bastida was Sicilian and not Neapolitan. Oh, well, went... no, sir. It was it's phenomenal. It's like your it's like your um the timbalo. Your timbalo is the bomb. Is the bomb. It's I had it for breakfast. <laughs> Your timbalo is the greatest breakfast food in the world. And you know I don't like hard boiled eggs. And you had the quail eggs, the liver. Yeah, you, yeah I said everything. It's a medieval, really bourbon period dish, a manzu dish. Like if you want to taste Naples and Sicily in the eighteen forties and fifties, that timbalo is it. Right? The, That's it's, it's the bomb. Yeah. It is the absolute bomb. No one could redo what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a combination of quail eggs, cinnamon, and liver. Oh, and all kinds of stuff. Right now, people are going to be like, especially people new to this, they're going to say, what are you talking about? But in the Bourbon period, that's what the rich people ate. Your ancestors didn't eat this. If you're listening. And chicken, chicken, macaroni. It's all kinds of stuff in there. Poor people had chicken once or twice a year. Yeah. They had a castrated capon, which was a castrated rooster capon. And then when you had a chicken that was 
two old to lay eggs and you got soup out of it. Yeah. There was no McNuggets in the two sisters. <laughs> no, but there was a heck of a lot to enjoy. And it actually brings us to our show today. If my pastilla is the merger of Neapolitan Sicilian cuisine, and we talk about the timbalo of the two Sicilies and this very rich, often lost culture that hasn't made its way here into the 21st century and into the diaspora of Italian Americans, today's episode focuses on actually something quite similar a project around the culture of the South, which we talk about a lot on this show. And, you know, we have an 87% of our population of Italian America here with its roots in the former two Sicilies. So it's a topic that comes up a lot, and everybody knows Pat and I are particularly passionate about. And uh, I guess through you, Pat, I think, I believe through you, or maybe through Stephanie, our associate producer on the other side of the glass, I was introduced to the idea of the Southern Italian Piano Project and its creator, Alexis Singale. And Alexis has agreed to come on this week and talk to us about her project and what she's done to really bring new eyes and new ears in particular to the sounds of classical music from southern Italy in, in a period and a, a place that unfortunately has kind of been lost to time in her efforts to revive it. So Alexis, thanks for being on and welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Oh, we're really happy to have you. This is a topic that's going to interest and educate not just an audience, but us. Because, Pat, I don't know about you. You're probably better versed in some of this than me. I am very, very dumb when it comes to classical music. Pat, do you know this kind of stuff? Um, I have no musical education whatsoever. And I went for music lessons as an adult after 40. I remember this. And I went for mandolin lessons. <laughs> the eighth lesson, the guy told me, like, please go home and like to never come back again. <laughs> it was like the worst studio. It was mean. And I was like trying so hard to learn. And I could, I can't hear, I don't know, an A from a B from a C. And he's telling me, and I, I really meant well. And he's like, you're wasting your time and mine. Like, go away. That was the vibe. <laughs> but I know like who Scarlatti is, Durante. Like, I know who these guys are. You know better than me. But I know them more in the sector of sacred music, the Neapolitan school of sacred music. Right. And I know that those guys kind of dabbled in both. So I know that they wrote things like piano sonatas. I just don't know anything about them. And I like their masses. I just don't know anything about them because I was thrown out of mandolin school. <laughs> That's why. Ain't that sad? It is sad. sad. I tried so hard to be a team player. You know why? Because I thought mandolins looked cool. Yeah, they do. I, I bought a mandolin. They're expensive, but they're beautiful. I bought one that I was going to play. I never, I never got a lesson. I even found a Neapolitan mandolin maker. I picked out the instrument before I took the lessons. Only you. But I thought it'd be like a very interesting like a conversation piece. And then the guy asked me from Naples, are you going to buy the mandolin? Like months later, I'm like, I, I can't. I was thrown out of school. <laughs> How am I going to go buy the mandolin now? And I'm like, I was expelled from Manhattan. I went to Bloomfield, New Jersey, the mandolin school. I have one somewhere. I have somewhere in storage. Alexis, can you play the mandolin? Oh, heavens no. No, <laughs> you are a renowned pianist, right? Well, I don't know if renowned is the right word, but I'm notorious, oh. certainly. <laughs> notorious is good. Uh, tell us for the audience and for me, because I don't know anything. What constitutes classical music? Pat points out there's, you know, liturgical music for mass versus, I guess, secular music. Can you give us a sort of like what what might we know in the back of our heads? What tune constitutes classical music that's sort of hiding in the back of our head and we don't know it? How would you describe it? Well, maybe an even better term to use is Western art music. And that's separate from popular music. That's a fantastic term. I'm going to shut up, but that's absolutely, I love that. That's a great term. I love it too, because we, we say classical, but there are actually different periods of Western art music. There's the Baroque music, there's the classical music that corresponds so well with the architecture of the same period um the romantic era and then everything goes haywire after that with the impressionists and atonal just about everything you can imagine nationalists but all of these time periods um you know this is over the course of european history and if we just lump it all as classical then we're thinking the word classical if you're talking about the periods of music, you're talking about the period that contained Haydn and Mozart and Beethoven and some of the composers I'll be playing, like Cimarosa, you know, the later end of the Neapolitan school. 
of composition. Classical music is everywhere and we don't realize it. You know, everybody knows for lease. And when I start a piano student, as soon as they figure out what it is, they hear it as somebody's ringtone on their phone. And like, I want to play for Elise. Like, great. Here's a kid that wants to play Beethoven. They don't know what Beethoven is, but they know that they want to play for Elise. And for Elise is, is the da na 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 right? Da na na na. That's da na 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 da 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 da. That's yeah. the one. And you think of dum bum 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 bum. Um, everyone's heard that, um, whether even if you haven't seen the movie Amadeus, you've heard that. Mm-hmm. But it often gets pigeonholed into this thing that's difficult or hard to understand or only for a certain group of people. And yet, how many film scores do we watch that have classical music um, and how wonderfully it can be used? It doesn't have to be a movie about people in fancy dresses and top hats or powdered wigs um, for it to be appropriate. Um, but we could still wear those outfits if we wanted, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if John and I want to come to your concert in powdered wigs, that's on the table. I would love yeah. that. Should we do it? <laughs> There's yeah. two that's people why. that would be willing. we got to wear yeah. knee purses yes. at the waiters we met in Rome. You know, that's what I was wearing the night I met my wife. Really? Yeah, for Halloween party. Just was Casanova. And I had, I got, you know, me, I went out and got the full... The, the whole full thing. I mean, I looked like I walked out of a living museum. Powdered wig, the whole nine yards. I'm, she, I'm sure she thought I was nuts, but here we are, you know, 12 years later. So we're working. And a baby. And a baby. And a, and a baby. Yeah, the knee, the knee bridges work for me. I procreated. You her so. child. She couldn't, <laughs> you know. Wear a powdered wig and knee bridges to the concert, and you too could father someone's <laughs> child. All right, I'm done. Alexis, I'm very excited about this concert. This is a very positive thing. But, you know... It's definitely not all museum pieces, and the lives of these people were not, certainly not museum pieces. Um, And they're actually, in some cases, really inextricably linked to what was happening in history. Whether it was racy things that were happening or uh, scandalous or you name it. And the thing is, Art music is still being created. And it's, you know, one of the composers I'm playing, he's very much alive. He's very productive. He is all over the place. Um, He's played in New York. His compositions have been performed in New York. I'm sure you've heard of the Silk Road Project with Yo-Yo Ma. He's worked with them. He's worked with Patti Smith. I mean, it doesn't always have to have this cold hard line between popular music that people like and classical music there's there shouldn't be this division between the two things wasn't classical music the popular music of a bygone era a lot of it a lot of it was i mean you think of some of the operas that were written yes many of them were written for court situations where it was all nobles and people of means and education and it was their entertainment for the evening but many operas were written for the people um for people to love and they did and they became the popular music and you could do many many episodes about the influence of neapolitan song on italian music sure i would love to do a series on that John, could you be Neapolitan for like a weekend again? From back from the Sicilian, <laughs> the Sicilian cliff you went off and just yes, come I back can and make believe it's the old days. Certainly, I'll tell you when it when it comes to music. As much as I love Sicilian folk, the, the real canzone napoletana, there's really nothing nothing compares to it. There's like three songs in Sicilian, right? Shooty, shooty, Dita Nacrozza, and the one I can't remember. Come on, there's a lot of people. You think we're gonna get Sicilian song. hate mail now? That's probably. I hope you do. <laughs> Yeah. You're the only one who gets mail, so you better get it. All my we'll Sicilian leaving. paisani they'll all be out there. Going, yeah, they'll all show up in my house, sure. <laughs> but I'm I think it's it, it's indicative of how how importantly influential Naples is as a musical center, be it the Canzone Napoletana or the Neapolitan Opera or classical music, art music. The idea that even not that long ago, I think it was like less than 10 years ago, the Lega was elected to run the region of Veneto in the city of Venice, and one of the things that they... One of the rules they created was the idea that uh, the gondolieri in Venice could no longer, even at request of a tourist, sing Neapolitan songs because they had so permeated popular consciousness of Italy that people were asking for Osolimio when they were in Venice in this Lega 
mayor was uh, upset by that. But yeah, if you think of the soundtrack of Italy around the world, it's nine tenths Neapolitan, I'm sure. Yeah, this is different in the sense that that Neapolitan popular music was sceneggiata type music. Like we discussed with Reba, which was the popular songs that came out of the 1880s and forward, you would say. But these songs are really 100 years, 200 years before that. Right. If I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So the period that we're talking about here, right, your project, Southern Italian Piano Project, is to resuscitate, re-record, reintroduce music from the two Sicilies, Yes. Is there a particular period that you're addressing here? And can you teach us a little bit about that period and, and some of the uh, iconic composers or pieces that are that are in it? I'm actually addressing as much of it as I can. I'm actually starting with Alessandro Scarlatti. And he's really considered to be the founder of the Neapolitan school. He was born in 1660. Okay. He wrote an truly unbelievable number of operas and he is remembered for those today but no one really knows his keyboard works and a huge reason for that is the man did not have time to write them Um, he was under so much pressure from his employers um, both in naples and then later in rome be producing not only composing the operas but then rehearsing them and conducting all the performances of them um And he had to be putting out at least two or three a year, in addition to all of the cantatas and serenatas and whatever occasional music anybody wanted. As a result, he actually didn't have a huge output of keyboard music. Um, But what he did write is interesting. And I really felt like he needed to be represented on the program. And as well, his son, uh, Domenico Scarlatti, he wrote more than 550 keyboard sonatas um, in complete contrast. He led a very different life than his father, and he ultimately ended up working in the Spanish court. Um, he had been working for King John of Portugal and had taught his daughter, uh, Maria Barbara, harpsichord, and that was why he started writing these. And then he ultimately ended up in the court in Spain when she married. And he just went along with her and was delighted to work there. Whereas um, his father kept bouncing back and forth between Rome and Naples. And he was trying to get employed by the Medici and that didn't work out. And, um, you know, Alessandro was always in constant strife. I I wanted to start with that um, because Alessandro was the father of the Italian school and also he was born in Sicily. And now we're talking. And then um, his son was born in Naples. And later in the program, I perform pieces by Eliodoro and Giovanni Salima. And Giovanni Salima is the cello professor at the conservatory in Palermo. Um, wow. His father taught there as well. And um, so I have a father and son pairing on the first half and a father and son pairing on the second half. So you have some samples of your own recordings at the piano of this kind of stuff. Tell us what you recommend we hear. We're going to play a bite of it for uh, for our audience. I think getting a sample of Domenico Scarlatti, I think, will actually be a wonderful way to be introduced to how vibrant this music is. Um, and this is not to say that Domenico Scarlatti is underplayed. He's actually hugely played. And he actually remains hugely popular to this day, but that's partially because of the work of another one of the composers that's on my program. There's a composer named Alessandro Longo. He was born in Naples. He lived from 1864 to 1945, so he saw very interesting times. He was a composer, a pianist, a professor. He ultimately ended up head of the Naples Conservatory. He 
was actually the first person to catalog all 550 of uh, Domenico Scarlatti's sonatas, and he wrote a wonderful book and repopularized Domenico Scarlatti. And while Longo himself was actually a phenomenal composer. But yeah, I think getting a taste of Domenico Scarlatti to see how vibrant this music is and how vibrant it continues to be uh, throughout the era. So it's a real characteristic of all of this music of Southern Italian composers, that it's vibrant and lyrical. It's unfailingly lyrical. Let's play a little bit for the audience and uh, we'll come back after a little bit of Domenico Scarlatti. Maestra, first of all, that was fantastic, and I totally understand what you mean when you say dynamism, the energy of that. That's beautiful. Uh, I can imagine many of our audience have never heard that piece or any Scarlattians. This is a nice introduction. You know, you got me thinking. You, you spoke about the works being done at Naples and Palermo. Were there other centers of this kind of creativity throughout the South during these periods? I know, obviously, Naples and Palermo were the political and cultural epicenters of the kingdom, but. Those were definitely the primaries. Those were absolutely the primaries. Um, any large city in, in Southern Italy did have significant musical activity, but it was really overwhelmingly concentrated in, in those centers. And I mean, it continued even after unification. And I think that's also that's part of why we don't know the music by the composers later in my program. Because after I open with uh, Alessandro and Domenico Scarlatti, uh, I play uh, uh, Domenico Cimarosa. He had worked in multiple locations. Um, he'd been in the court of Catherine the Great, and then he had worked in Vienna for Leopold. And then he went home to Naples and in 1799, there was the Parthenopian Republic, and he was a sympathizer. And so he wrote a patriotic hymn that was used for the symbolic flag burning of, of the king. Wow. I already don't like the guy. This did not go well for him. Um, so when Ferdinando got back in, Chimarosa immediately wrote, a number of quite nice works praising Ferdinando. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the south of it, a Tunia Well, he kept writing these, and apparently this this not only did not help his cause, it actually irritated Ferdinando more. And he ended up in jail for four months. And the only reason he wasn't executed was... Uh, I don't remember the names of, I think Cardinal Rufo was one of them. Yeah, certainly Cardinal Rufo was the warrior priest who uh, led the peasant revolt up Calabria and reinstate the kingdom of the two Sicilies uh, from the French Republic. Lady Hamilton um, yes. also interceded on his behalf. And that's how he escaped execution. Hmm. But his health declined so profoundly and so rapidly after he was released from prison that it rumored that agents of Maria Carolina poisoned him. And they actually had to do, they had to publish a medical report trying to prove that this was not the case, saying it was internal ailments um, and that it was not a poisoning. Wow. Um, but I don't, 
I the issue isn't still a hundred percent closed as far as I understand. <laughs> so wow. it's amazing to think how you know we we don't think of those time periods as ones of the same kind of popular consumption of media, but in truth, you know, so many of the um, particularly the the English uh, little ditties and and political ditties and you know, things that get passed down, you know, ring around the rosy, having its origins in the plague. And, you know, th- these things do spread, right? These the music does spread oh, yeah. and people of all classes have access to it. And it means something uh, politically, socially, and uh, to have a, an, a sort of an open-ended, potentially political assassination coming yeah. from the royal court <laughs> that could still be talked about. Uh, it tells you how far and wide this stuff, how much this meant, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was there was some uh, risque stuff happening with um, Alessandro Scarlatti's sisters um, helping to secure him positions in courts and um, some court officials being dismissed in Naples for being involved with one particular sister of his. But she did get him the job <laughs> and she she got another one of the Scarlatti brothers a job as well. Um, she was a. Uh, dispatched to a nunnery shortly afterward but eventually she came out and married a double bass player and continued to carry on <laughs> so, wow kept it in the family business yeah again people think well it's just a guy in a powdered wig and it's like actually they had exciting lives so it, it's interesting to think that these are real human lived lives and you know the, the minutia of the complexities of court and the sort of social back and forth this is in many ways how we look at history but in particular the history of the south right it's it's oftentimes the kind of high timeline stuff and we miss the little intricacies what inspired you to take on this project tell us about the ultimate goal of the project and what inspired you and and where it's going well this is this is actually completely a pandemic story and the italian american podcast is involved wow so march 7th 2020, I was at a wedding um, of dear friends in New Rochelle while the you know, National Guard was actually like cordoning off a section of New Rochelle <laughs> because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah, it started. It was a big, um, big epicenter at first. Yep. Um, and I was at a wedding and I met my friend's cousin, who's actually a friend of, of yours, actually. Of mine? Yep. And, and Pat. Um, Charles Santalia. Oh, yes. oh, yeah, the great oh, Charlie. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. now that's a that is a two Sicilian worth his weight in gold. He is a very active. Well, he's he's not a Sicilian. <laughs> no, no, I said a two Sicilian. <laughs> oh, oh, a two yeah. Sicilian. Yes, we, two we don't have a better yes. word, you know. So I got to yes. use that. Yes. But he, yes, so he's my friend Frank's cousin, and I'd heard about him existing, but I'd not actually met him, and he was interested. And the fact that I'm a pianist, and he said, and you're a daughter of the two Sicilies, since you have family from Sicily and you have family from Salerno, so you should play some. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm, I'll do that. Hey, why not? You know, seemed like a good idea. Couldn't name any off the top of my head, but I just assumed it would just be whatever Italian composers, and that would be fine. Nope. And then, you know, the next week comes around and the universe shuts down, and... I suddenly had a whole lot of time on my hands um, because obviously there was no performing. Um, I have six jobs. I had seven at that point. They weren't working the way they did before. Um, and it was down to just Zoom teaching and me taking these incredibly long walks to retain my sanity. <laughs> and so he was talking to me about the history of the two Sicilies a little bit. And I'm like, I don't know this at all. You know, and it had me thinking about things that are Italian. And I was not a huge podcast person before the pandemic, except for news. But these long walks, you know, I was listening to, I remembered that I had looked up this podcast at one point and I'm like, that sounds good. And then never stayed on it. But these long walks, I was listening to Italian American podcast and then I was listening to um, the Talking History, uh, Italian history, and then I realized I'm not absorbing it from that. I need books. 
and I had actually asked Charles, what should I start with? And he's like, start with Tironi. Mm-hmm. That's P- Pinot Grillo. Doesn't that uh... book sound like a candy? <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you say that book, like it should come in a little white wrapper with right. almonds. I'm sorry. We recommend it to everybody. Of... Yeah, we do recommend it to everybody. If you're going to start, if you're gonna start an intellectual revolution, that's the manifesto. That, and that's where I started. And... I don't know. It was kind of like activating a sleeper cell or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. And this really put the fire under me of, well, why aren't Southern Italian composers household names? Because I didn't, I knew Scarlatti. I knew Domenico Scarlatti because there's a canon of Western art music that we study. And it's huge. And there are composers that make it into the canon, and then there are composers that, for whatever reason, they don't. So I literally didn't know who these other people were. I had no idea. And so here I am, Zoom teaching, long walks, and then just feverishly searching the internet to find these composers. And, you know, the Neapolitan school is actually really pretty well covered. You know, you get the Durante and Paisiello and that whole crowd along with Cimarosa and the Scarlatti's and Leo and but what came after that you know there's the household names like Verdi and Puccini they're not southern you know they had the money and the exposure and all the opportunities afforded to them by northern Italy and yet Naples had been the driving force for so long. And Naples had been one of the most cosmopolitan cities for so long. Why wasn't it? And then I realized, oh, well, that's how the history worked out, was that what opportunities might have been afforded to Southern Italian composers weren't. Yeah. So we get past the Neapolitan school and like none of these people are household names. And so like Longo is known to classical musicians only as the L on top of the Scarlatti Sonatas. No one, I mean, I talked to other musicians about this and no one's ever heard anything by him. They're like, wait, he wrote music? I thought he was just the cataloger. I thought he was just some music theorist or musicologist sitting in a closet somewhere cataloging Scarlatti Sonatas. I'm like, no, he was a pianist. He was a chamber musician. He was a piano professor. All I can tell you is I know that by the time this recording ends, I think Stephanie will have been feverishly looking to see if A, she's related to him, and B, she can discover any kind of uh, uncharted, unknown composition. He was from Guardi de Lombardi. (laughs) He will have the greatest champion on his side possible because Stephanie will be absolutely, she'll spend the next six years to to discover. She'll have him on, uh, he'll be selling CDs and winning Grammys by the time she's done. Good thing we got her on mute, John. Good thing we got her on mute. Oh, yeah. Spring has sprung, and there's no better time to immerse yourself in the sights and sounds of Italy. With Mediaset Italia, you can experience the best of Italy from home, bringing you the best programming from Italian channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4 as soon as it airs in Italy. Mediaset Italia has something for everyone, such as the latest in news, politics, and pop culture from sources you trust. Top-rated reality shows and competition shows for non-stop entertainment. And the latest dramas and serials starring the biggest names in Italy. There's always something new on Mediaset Italia to kick back and enjoy at the end of the day. Check with your local television provider today. So once you started your search, what did you start to find? What were your discoveries? I turned up so many. I mean, some of it... To find some of these composers, I had to sit on the websites of every Italian publishing house, music publishing house, and clicked on biography after biography, looking to see where they were born. Because there is no, you know, it's all considered a unified Italy now. It's, you know, and it's, there's not the distinction of region. But I feel there needs to be more recognition given to the composers that, you know, they didn't have everything handed to them on a plate. Um, So Longo, I think his music is fantastic. Then we get to um, Chilea. Um, Francesco Chilea is known 
among opera fans of hers opera, Adriana Le Couvreur. But again, it was completely news to me that he wrote anything for the piano. My singer friends are familiar with him, but even if you ask musicians that aren't singers, they're, if they don't know about that opera, they don't, they don't know about him at all. Um, Mario Pilati is starting to have a little bit of a surge um, of interest. Um, he died really, really young and he died immediately before World War II um, in 1938. Um, but he wrote some really interesting things. Um, I'm doing a prelude that's not, it's not terribly long, but it gets a lot done. In, in the time, he, it's subtitled in front of the bell tower of an ancient mountain church. Mm. And it really, I think it has the character of Southern Italy, but also has the character of impressionism that was definitely a feature in music and art and maybe in his lifetime. So you've cataloged all of these composers now and you've gone out and recorded much of this work on the piano yourself? Not for commercial release, just for practical purposes um, of, you know, being able to share a clip online, being able to show people um, on short notice, um, not commercial recording yet. But is that the goal? I don't know. I like a lot of goals. I think one of the biggest issues here is that the ones after the Neapolitan school, I think, have been more lost to history because of what happened with unification. And there are certainly much bigger and better experts than I am in the Baroque and early classical period. You know, there are people who devote entire lifetimes to that. The piano, which is also an Italian invention, True. didn't exist as we know it until relatively recently. You know, you think of you know, Domenico Scarlatti. The piano was just being invented um, during his lifetime, and it didn't sound the way it does now. Um, the action wasn't fully developed yet. You know, the, it didn't function exactly the same way yet. Um, it was just the very first types. That said, um, while I'm not expert in that, and there are people that do devote their entire lifetimes to Baroque and early classical, I think knowing some of that is going to be really illuminating to understand all the music that came after. To understand what's happening right now with um, Giovanni Sulima, who's well known and celebrated, to understand why this music is good, you should try listening to some of the other music and see where it came from, um, see where it came from, see where it's going. So you're kind of cataloging a missing link if you will, between the kind of well-known Neapolitan school during the period of independence into the, let's say, more prominent names today, but it's that period between the Risorgimento and kind of the modern period where a lot of the stuff in the South is unknown or, or lost to time. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this music, it's barely getting played in Italy. There is some of it you can find... Um, not a lot of it. It's hard to find. Um, it, you know, because again, in classical music, we tend to favor the canon. You know, we program Brahms because people want to hear Brahms. Everyone knows they like Beethoven. Uh-huh. And people get a little timid about programming anything else because then what if their audiences don't come because they don't know if they're going to like it or not? So how do we change this? What's the action item that comes out of this? Um, keep putting it in front of people. I, I don't see any other way is we have to keep putting this music in front of people so that they can hear it for themselves. And they realize there's a lot that we're missing out on. There's a lot to Southern Italian heritage we're missing out on. Well, let me ask you a question. Have any of your colleagues, did you spark anyone's interest like when you brought these topics up? Did anyone come back to you and say, gee, Alexis, I had no idea, or, you know, oh, this is so interesting. Or, all the time. You should do an academic paper about this. All the time. 
I mean, my favorite one, though, is talking to other pianists and saying, I'm going to play something by Alessandro Longo, and they just light up, and they're like, I thought he was just an L. <laughs> he's, <laughs> like, he's not just an L. Yeah, giving him new life. I think classical musicians, they're excited to find new music and hear new music and play new music, um, not just recently composed music, but music that's new to them. It's audiences. Because if audiences aren't even sure if they like Beethoven and Mozart, and then you say, but I'm going to play Cimarosa, and they're like, I really don't know what that is. It's like getting kids to try an unfamiliar food. It's like the deep track, right? I mean, it's like if somebody doesn't know if they like opera, you can get them to go see La Boheme or, you know, Tosca. But can you get them to go to the real deep cuts, if you will? Right. Some of the stuff that doesn't necessarily get the same popular consumption and that's unfortunate really because you go see Rigoletto and you love it chances are there's a whole wealth of operas that you don't know about I probably don't know about and you're going to love them just the same right because it's the art form oh absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely and it's the same with this music I mean one of the reasons I aside from having to put Scarlatti both Scarlattis on so that you understand the progression in the course of the program. I also wanted to make sure I had one name on there that people knew so that they weren't completely freaked out. Mm. Because if I had gone with one of the other composers, you know, if I had looked for Durante or Leo or something like that, then some people would just be like, nope, that just sounds like a forest I'm not going into. And so for this program, I am putting an emphasis on that. In future programs, will I? I don't know. I feel like there's so much music from the Romantic era and the 20th century that needs to be explored that no one's heard. I may, I may go more that direction. I'm not sure yet. And now this program is a, is a live concert that you're putting on. What, what's this when you say this program? Well, this particular program, I'm actually doing it three times. I'm doing it twice in Connecticut and one time in New York City on May 20th. Um, I'm doing it at the Domena Center for Classical Music. And so this particular collection of pieces is what I've picked for round one. Is there going to be a round two? I sure hope so. I don't know what form it's going to take. Um, and I feel like this is where I want to start in introducing this repertoire to people. If we have audience members out there who are in or around the New York City metro area or Connecticut, where can they find information on these performances and uh, tickets and, and how to come out and, and participate? Because I think, you know, I would love to come spend the night. And uh, I'm there. Yeah, I am totally there. Excellent. I don't know if we can get the breeches and powdered wigs in time, but, you know, if you see two guys. Can we the do audience... a fundraiser for the second concert series? Oh, that would be amazing. If I actually show up in a powdered wig, you think people would donate? Yes. If I got like a dunk tank and then we put. No, nah, I do the dunk tank. <laughs> it's below your dignity. That's, that's below my tank. I'll now, go I'll, in the dunk tank. I'll, I'll gladly you go, go to, in. You could go to the dunk tank. I'm going to wear the. I'll, I'll, I'll powder wig it. We <laughs> got to back this up. If we don't get behind these things, we'll all smoke. Tutte fuma nienda roost, you know? All yeah. smoke and. Uh, how do they say it in English? No fire. Yeah, but there's a. Um, all talk and no action. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to get behind this. And I love, love, love Durante. I love Durante's, uh, what is yeah. it? Um, Mass for Four Voices. Yeah. You know, not that I'm, yeah. I, I, fell, <laughs> I, I failed out of mandolin school. <laughs> You're singing it fine. And it, that's the thing. If you like Durante, you'll like the Chimorosa. You'll like the Scarlatti. So I have a website for this. It's very simple to remember. It's southernitalianpiano.com. Well, that is easy. And it has the three concert dates and links to Eventbrite for the tickets. But yeah, two are in Connecticut on May 6th and May 15th. And then May 20th is New York City, the Domena Center. I got to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. If you had to prepare someone or get them to dip their toe in this water, what do you recommend? Is there a playlist? Is there a go on YouTube or go on Spotify and this is what you listen to and this is what's going to get you 
acquainted with this music? There's not a, a preformed playlist that I know of, but um, can we make a playlist? How do we make that happen? I could I could make a playlist of Scarlatti and Cimarosa and some of these other composers. I mean, again, the it, it's not just the whole golden age of Naples that we're looking at here. We're looking at the points afterwards too that I think are really amazing. So. To that end, if there's no playlist, as we close out the episode, is there a single composition that you might want to share with our audience as we sign off? I, I can't imagine playing our normal kind of jumpy, jivey uh, outro music right now. I think it might be nice to give them something that you think kind of encapsulates everything. I think I'd like some of the Alessandro Longo, because um, I think our interest in Scarlatti and a lot of these Neapolitan composers wouldn't be here without him and the piece itself is just so fabulous it's so beautiful and i think it's going to inspire people and what's the title of the piece well it's sonata number five in g major it's opus 67 sonata number five in g major yep you wouldn't want to mess with somebody with a sonata on number five in g major (laughs) that sounds like a very serious sonata Stephanie, jump on here for a second. Tell us how pumped you are that this Longo oh, she's, could be she's relative. Out of, she's out of control now. It's, I'm out of control now. It. Pat is correct. I'm jumping up and down and swinging from the chandeliers. And Pat, you don't want to mess with the Longo. Ain't going to be me, lady. Ain't going to no. happen. I know you all too well. This is true. I'm in family here. You all know me all too well. So it's Nuts. good. No, I am really excited. I cannot wait to hear Alessandro Longo. And who knows? Maybe he's a relative, which would be really awesome. From so Guardia. I'm, I'm sure you'll he, find he out. He didn't even is. know he was from Guardia, but you'll find him. He's from Guardia <laughs> now. Someday he's an honorary Guardian now. She's going to find Guardia if it's there, I'm finding it. We'll find it for you. We're all related to Stephanie. <laughs> well, I agree with you, Stephanie. I can't wait to hear it now, and I certainly can't wait to hear it in person. I know Pat and I are definitely going to be at that show, and uh, looking forward to hopefully meeting some of you guys out from the audience. Listen, people, you got to come to the concert. Yeah, it's going to be great. We will be there. John and I will be there. I don't know what night I will be there. But I will be there. We're going to buy tickets, go out, buy tickets. Because if we don't get behind projects like these, these projects will not happen again. So you got our vote of confidence. Because I think a lot of people are intimidated. I think that a lot of people hear classical music and they just turn off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But they, they think, oh, this is really complicated or this is hard. And it's like, no, you, all you have to do is just enjoy it. You don't have to think too much about it. Anything that's Neapolitan is a party. Maybe if the Sicilian music might go a little slow, but the Neapolitan. Oh, music, here we go. Yeah, I gotta defend John. You're a defector. You went over the <laughs> you went over the Berlin Wall of the Neapolitan people. I you ran you the other ran side of the, the lighthouse. You went from the west of Berlin to the east. <laughs> you, you did a reverse jump over the wall. Boy, oh I, boy. I knew a different John. I knew he was concerned about Bastida. Now you don't even hear about it. All of these, all of these listeners yeah, that right. write you letters and emails, and they get your cell phone number and they call you. I hope I can activate any of my Sicilian brothers and sisters out oh, there. Just, come down. just, just drop some bombs on Pat about his anti-Sicilian stance. See, because... see the Sicilians are all united. They all yeah. unite. Trinacria. Right. What do you call it? Trinacria. La Trinacria. We'll yeah, be you'll united. be flying yes. that That's as right. the lynch mob comes to get me. <laughs> come on, get out those wallets. PayPal. What's the other thing? How many times Venmo, did we try to throw Venmo. over our overthrow our Listen, Neapolitan like overlords? Listen, I said I got Venmo. Hey, Venmo. Venmo, it's funny. Venmo, another uh, world. But no. come support Alexis. Alexis, when is the album coming out? I don't know. That I don't know. Do the album so the people who live in like the middle of nowhere can buy your album because they're gonna say, "Oh, I can't go to New York. I can't go to Connecticut." Or if they have a local group that would love to hear this music, I would love to go there and play it for them. Mayangor, Mayangor. Yeah, it's a good point. If you know a venue that's looking for programming or you're part of a group that's always booking uh, different entertainments and uh, different events, 
we can certainly put Alexis's information and website on the show page. You'll be able to find it there on our website, ItalianAmericanPodcast.com, on the episode page. And I think it's a great excuse to celebrate culture and to learn and, and explore something new. And I think that that's really wonderful. And Alexis, this has been an incredible and enlightening conversation for us. I'm certainly looking forward to the show. And at Alexis's recommendation, we are going to leave you with Longo's Sonata Number no. 5 in G major. And we hope everybody enjoys it as much as we've enjoyed this wonderful conversation and this exploration into a topic that we all love around here, a little bit of Southern Italian history that can be resuscitated and revived by the likes of a passionate Italian-American like Alexis Singali. So, Alexis, thanks again for being here. Thank you all for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed, and we'll see you next week. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da